Howdy, folks. This is Scott Parker, and you're listening to the ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast. And uh, as we are talking here, it is uh, December of 2023. You won't be hearing this until the new year, kids. But today we are here with our um, our wonderful, amazing producer. Uh, his mother always said he was a nice boy. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Bill Camerata. Thank you. I used to cut the grass. I was a very nice boy. Of course. Where would we be without this man? The man, the myth, the legend, the uh, one person in the entire Zappa story that you all love. Shall I roll the timpani? <laughs> yes, roll the timpani. <laughs> Sir Joseph William Travers, the vault Yay! <laughs> one hand clapping. That's right. <laughs> one hand clapping, yes, literally. Inside jokes, where, where? So, why don't we tell them, Joseph, what we're talking about today? Well, for those of you just joining us, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I would like to ask Bill to roll the timpani, please. Okay, yes. here comes the timpani. And it's rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the overnight sensation Deep Dish Extravaganza! Extravaganza! That's right. <laughs> yeah, this is a treasure, and I, I think people are starting to get the idea that there are anniversary releases that can be done of a lot of the albums, but here's the interesting thing about Overnight Sensation, at least... As far as I'm concerned, this was an album that Frank did specific sessions for, right? So this is, which is not necessarily true of a lot of his albums. Like, for example, there wasn't really a set of Uncle Meat sessions, you know? There wasn't really a set of Chunga's Revenge sessions, as we've said. There wasn't really a set of apostrophe sessions, per se. Those were more like compilations. So... I, I find this fascinating because Frank obviously must have conceptualized this and it came out pretty well the way that he had conceptualized it, right? There's not a lot of alternate versions of this album as far as I know. Well said. The, like, <laughs> if you look on the box set, right, there's like some tracks that are on the first disc that are labeled Studio Session Masters or something like that. Yeah. And those were outside of for the young sophisticates like Inca Rhodes and Redunzel, they were being kind of like toyed around with in the sequence to the album. Yeah. Uh, there is no indication at all that the Overnight Sensation was going to be a double album. It was always a single on the tape boxes. You can see that it says side one, side two, and different sequences of those songs. So a wonderful wino was going to be on the album at one point. So what we have, obviously, is the iconic album. But now with this anniversary edition, we actually have all of basically all of the songs that were recorded during the sessions mixed by Frank and kind of compiled together now in one place. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, I'm trying to think of where things like um, For the Young Sophisticate or um, or Wonderful Wino would fit into the album, like where they conceivably could have fit. And I think I'm not saying that it was a good thing to leave those things off, but there were also things like uh, 
Redunzel, I guess, which could have been on the album, maybe, and uh, yeah. Pink Rhodes in that early form. You talk about your Zappa starter packs, you know, your yeah. starter packs. And um, I think for a lot of people, I mean, was it, was Overnight your first album, Joe? Or it was? It was one of my first. That was the first album that you got, Bill? I'm pretty sure that was the first one. And then Apostrophe came soon afterwards. Nice. Yeah, the first one I ever heard was Shake Your Booty. And the That's first right. one, I, That's right. and the first one I ever bought was Apostrophe, and I and I didn't get Overnight Sensation on vinyl until probably like sometime in the '80s, used from one of my Cleveland Coventry record store halls as a teenager once a, once mm-hmm. a year. Um, so yeah, and and I think the one that I got, uh, I can't remember. I might have a reprise, repress, possibly. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think that was repressed on reprise. I can't remember. Mm. But I also have an original discrete, too. I can't remember if they repressed that on reprise later on. I have to check. I don't have one, which means that I will have to get one. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. But uh, I think I remember mine. I can't remember. Anyway, it's back in Erie. I'm going to be in Erie. I'll let you know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be in Erie for Christmas. That's it. Um, I got my first copy in the old master's box two box. Oh, right. So that was, yeah, that was the original mix, I believe. I think it was like digitally tweezed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of those albums were, uh, you know what, what he used to do. Um, and I, you know, I do actually have a document on my, I wonder if I still have that document on this computer. That would be amazing. But I did a comparison of all of the old masters versions to the original albums and to the CD versions and all that stuff. Just to, you know, yeah. And the original masters boxes, there's a lot of unique versions in those box sets. That's different from the original vinyl and the CD, which is weird. Yes. And in some instances, all Frank really did, other than re-add, you know, digital EQ and reverb, is to swap the channels. <laughs> so right and left are swapped. So that's that's really weird, though. Yep, like <laughs> he's he's crafty. He's crafty. Yeah. I'm telling you. Like yeah. So like like it's possible that um, the overnight sensation, and I would have to look at my document, but it is possible that the overnight sensation old masters version is the original mix with a digital EQ and tweeze. And the channels swapped. Oh, wow. Do you think that was intentional? <laughs> yes, wow. absolutely. 100%. I only have box really one. Strange. I'm going to have to do that deep dive someday. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I did it. And, uh, I, you know, every album, I'm just like, wow. You know, like something different is like popping up and you just, you know, you sometimes almost don't notice until you're forensic about these things. <laughs> I would love if you ever find that document, I would love to see it just off the record, you know, just out of curiosity, because I really have to go back to those albums and listen to them, you know, in the in the old masters configuration, because there is a lot of weird stuff there that is. pops up. Yeah. 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 Now so, I'm looking. I'm looking as we're talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I found it. Oh, you have. You did. I just found it. All right. So, okay. Box two is which one that one's in, right? Yep. Overnight. So. Okay. It says. Oh no, it's not in box two. It's in box three. Aha. Uh-huh. Hold on. Is it? Hold, yeah. Box three. Oh, that's right. Because box three goes up to. Um, Here's what I have lures. listed. Yeah. Box one is just the the verb years. 
Here, yes. here's, what, here's yes. what I have listed for Overnight Sensation. Same 1987 remaster for both. I don't know what that means. Oh, maybe for the CD. Only slight nuances due to format technology. That's what I wrote. So uh. it's the same remaster as the 1987 CD. Ah, interesting. So it's the same remaster as the 87 CD but slight nuances. And so really what the question is, is is the 1987 CD, how different is that from the original vinyl? That's really what the question is. So I guess I didn't That's... answer it so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if you go to the Zappa patio on, um, on yeah. the internet, that yep. guy uh, did, uh, you know, forensic level yep. <laughs> examinations yep. of these things. Yeah, so the so the yeah, so the basically the overnight sensation old master uh version is a vinyl pressing of the nineteen eighty seven digital remaster that was on C D, basically. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so no no real differences then. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that was that was the first time I heard it, and then I got the C D, which of course was packaged with apostrophe initially. Yeah, the original and, two um, the original twofer. Yes. Yeah, there were two twofers, that and Only Money and Lumpy Gravy. Right. And, uh, you know, since from a very, very early on in my Frank collecting, I had to have everything on every format ever. So, <laughs> yes, this is true, folks. I got a job, my first job specifically so that I could spend every penny that I made on Frank Zappa records and tapes and books <laughs> and everything else. I literally spent 300 and something 1988 dollars a week on Frank Zappa stuff. My. That's an obsessed individual at that point, man. Oh my god, yeah. You know, yep. so um when people that. say that I'm disturbed, well there's your evidence, kids. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so how long did this project gestate for, Joseph? Uh, you know, I had done a lot of the transfers of the original multi-track tapes back a long time ago. So all mm. that kind of grunt work was uh, done already. So all I had to do was go back to the original transfers and listen to them down and see what was there. And uh, outside of maybe a few false starts, I think that everything available that's listenable and interesting is here on this box. And it probably yeah. took it probably took maybe a few months to you know to gather the materials and then maybe go back into the vault and try and find some new things that I could find that wasn't transferred and uh, and that was where like things like um, Dirty Love with Quad Guitar like things yeah. like that yeah I hadn't transferred that before I'd found that on a reel four track reel and I was like oh I'm gonna try that try that out and see what that is was that how it was labeled yes. It was literally labeled with quad guitar. Yeah, because Frank had a quadraphonic setup in Paramount Studios at the time because they, yes, were mix that's right. they were mixing the album in quad. It was the first album that they did in quad. And so um, he had a guitar, like a four, I think it was like a four channel guitar. That's what I think. Like the output wow. was four channels. And, um, but, you know, don't quote me on that, y'all. If You can maybe look deeper in some kind of article of, you know, Frank talking about that stuff. But anyway, they had a guitar and it was set up in quad. And so he was literally in the control room playing and it was bouncing around in quad. Maybe someone, maybe Kerry McNabb was sitting there panning it or maybe it had some kind of like auto pan thing. Yeah. But so that guitar solo was not, uh, 
recorded onto the multi-track tape, it was like a it was like a bounce down to four track in real time. Really? Yeah. It's a unique that, guitar track to, to that particular take. Yeah, exactly. And that and that that guitar track is not on the multi-track masters, the the 16 track masters. So, yeah, cool little things like that, man. Yeah. Deep dive. <laughs> this is where it gets deep, baby. <laughs> I have to say too, um, before we run down the the track by track, that I really love the mastering on the uh, the new vinyl version, the three LP. Oh, you know, and I do think it makes a difference to master it at forty five RPM. I really do. You know, there's a there's a a real warmth and clarity there that I've never heard on any other vinyl version of that. So, you know, major major kudos for that because uh, I just it's my favorite way to listen to the album now. Oh wow. And did you like it too, Bill? Uh, yeah, the, the master is very, very warm. Lots of good bass. And, <laughs> and the high end does not suffer. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's the reason why 45 RPM is, is in the industry. You know, like they've been doing audiophile 45 RPM versions of classic jazz titles forever. And, uh, you know, certain records uh, like... Blow by blow by Jeff Beck have been done yes. by at four at forty five RPM and stuff and there's just been a lot of forty five RPM treatments done to classic records and so it came up in a meeting with Universal and uh, so we had agreed that a you know a version of a forty five RPM version of Overnight Sensation would be a, a cool thing and I I haven't read too many things online but it's good to hear your criticism of it. Uh, that mm. is pos- positive because, you know, you never know. We might end up doing more records like that. You never know. That's what I was going to ask if there was a possibility of more of that. So, Well, sure, there there always is if, as long as the record can conform to a, you know, 10 to, what is it, 10 to 12 minutes aside, I think, or something like that. Something like That's that. That's what you can do. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've listened to both the, um, the, the two record and the three record version. Mm. of overnight sensation the two record one is the one you can get in regular stores the yes. three record splatter vinyl with the extra vinyl lp of bonus tracks mm-hmm. is only mm-hmm. available in the uh, zappa web store through universal mm-hmm. and right. the uh the two record one uh because it's on black vinyl and there's no colored vinyl to mess with the sound sounds so much better because once you go to 45 rpm there are other factors that uh, require the disc manufacturing to be of a certain level. Sure. So you have less surface noise. Yeah. The two and record vinyl one just excels on that level like crazy. Yeah. They were all, pre- I think they were all pressed at the same place. I can't remember. Was that in Canada mm. at Precision? Mm, I think they're, well, okay. So you're saying that the black vinyl version was, was in Canada? As far as I can tell, but I can't tell where the three record one was pressed. It would have been GZ Media for the three record. Ah, yeah. Okay. Made in Czech Republic. The days of us choosing specific record pressing plants for stuff is pretty much over. I mean, we st- they still do try. I mean, Universal does try. like Because Optimal, Optimal Media in Germany is the f- go-to place for us. That's where we like to start and if we can't get in because of you know the the amount of demand by the record companies to use that place then they have to go elsewhere in order to keep things in schedule and there's a 
multitude of pressing plants that Universal uses that are as part of their go-tos, if, shall we say. And uh, some of them are better than others. You know, they all kind of have little things. And, like, you will notice that some pressings from one place is going to have surface noise and some pressings from another place is not. It's just the way it is. Yep, uh, but, it different. But I will also say this, for those of you that are fetishing about vinyl, that black vinyl will always sound the best. Yes. Although I do think the splatter vinyl sounds really, really good. Yes. I mean, yes. It, it, the, things have come a long, long way, but black vinyl will always sound the best no matter what. Like, if you compare black vinyl to any colored, you know, you will always find that the black vinyl will sound better than that. And there's a reason for that. And I learned about that reason from, I think it was either palace in germany or furnace in virginia i can't remember which one but the reason why is because black vinyl does not attract as much dust and dust kills vinyl it gets in the grooves man and it just mm -hmm. stays there and so they're saying that black over when we're talking about long-term use now not right mm -hmm. away yes it does attract it does attract dust but not as much and so uh, because it doesn't attract as much, it's just a lot cleaner sounding. And that's why black seems to be interesting. Yep. That's that's wow. and that's not coming from me. I'm I'm repeating what, yeah, what? a famous what pressing plan has said. So so keep your records <laughs> clean, kids. Yeah. Pay off in the end. That's right. I yeah, just got a, I just got a new record cleaning system. Yay. Oh, it's just yep. literally just going to ask you if you had one. Yeah. I know Bill does. So I was using the uh, vinyl vac for the longest time, hooked up to my little shop vac, and I used the solution that vinyl vac uh, sells, which is really, really good. And it's a manual system where you have to buy like a little turntable, you have to rig it up, you have to you know go to Amazon and buy all these things, and they tell you exactly what to buy. But I found the same type of system only you don't have to go to Amazon and buy a rig job. They yeah. do it for you. They literally, they have this great little turntable with ball bearings, very sturdy, very easy to turn, and it has a little attachment that's magnetic that goes right on it, and then you can put your, vac, uh, your shop vac hose right in it. It's really super easy, and it's, uh, even though it's still a manual way that uses vacuum, it's much more consistent, much more stable, and much more easier to use. And it's by a company out of Canada called Squeaky Clean Vinyl, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. That's where you want to Google that shit. <laughs> and the guy and the guy will be very happy that I just gave him a, a full on one hundred percent Zappacast endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I am literally Googling it right now. Squeaky clean vinyl, ladies and gentlemen. If you are interested in doing your own manual, which is the best way to do it, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, that your own manual. And Bill Camerata has done many, many videos. Yeah, I'm about, about to do another about one. cleaning vinyl. Let me tell yep. you, he's he's a, he's definitely been steering people in the right direction for years now about how to clean vinyl properly. And I'm here to tell you that no matter what you guys do, always factor in a vacuum stage if you're doing wet cleaning because that is the key 
to the universe is the vacuum stage. It's the key. Put that on the timpani. It's the key, key, key. The vacuum definitely does help. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, yeah, as soon as we're done, I'm going to look into buying one of these, like, right away. So... <laughs> it's only 120 I... bucks, I think. Oh, that's bad at all. Yeah, I think that's what it yeah, is. It's so. a Christmas present. Tell Michelle. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so, so we have the album, of course, which is the same. Is it the same as the 2012 CD? Nice to see you guys, by the way. <laughs> it is very nice to see it's you. It's very Justin. nice to hang out with you, with you gentlemen. In the end oh of no, the we always have we always have fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what was the question? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, did I tell you guys, by the way, uh, you probably want to edit this out, but somebody sent me a picture of a deep dish pizza he made in tribute to the Zappa cast. <laughs> oh, so nice. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, tell, I'll send it to you as soon as I send you the picture. Is I don't it, think you yes. need to edit that out. That's pretty damn cool. No, that's very cool. <laughs> it is, um, yes, shout out to our, our uh, friend Greg Carson who sent me this picture. Hey, Scott Parker made a deep dish pizza today. So, <laughs> so deep dish has caught on. So, so, so what is your favorite deep dish pizza? You guys, uh, my experience is so limited. I really like pizzeria uno, believe it or not. <laughs> and is pizzeria uno based out of Chicago? I think, I believe they used to be a nationwide chain. It's a chain, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, because I had some deep dish in Chicago that completely kicked my ass, and I don't even remember at all really where it was from. I just remember that it was so. You know how like, you know how Krispy Kreme is like the gourmet donut. Yes, like, like it is such an overload of donut. One hundred percent donut. Well, that's what this was. This was such an overload of oh. deep dish. It was like so much deep. Dish, dish, dish. <laughs> so anyway, it was good though. Deep dish pizza is pretty damn good. Oh, it is like that. You know, that's like a once in a while thing for us. But we will go. We literally drive to Springfield, Massachusetts, from here in Connecticut, just to get deep dish pizza. It's wow. so stupid, but you know I we do it. it. <laughs> I love so, it. So, so I'm I'm very glad that everybody out there seems to really like the deep dish concept for these episodes because. Me I think too. that actually may have come up as an act, you know, by accident, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think one of us miss. I, it was probably me that miss, uh, you know, misspoke um, and said deep dive, and I said deep dish. I was hungry, you know. What can you do? Hey, I'll buy you a pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, I'll introduce you to Warren. So, <laughs> back to overnight sensation. Back to. <laughs> um. So the the um. The master for the album is the same as the 2012 CD? Yes. Okay, so that's good because um, we were talking about, um, not too long ago, about albums that have gone out of print. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how many of the 2012 CDs are still actually in print. And there was a vinyl that came out, 33 and a third RPM vinyl that came out, I think, in 2014? Yes. Somewhere around there? Mm-hmm. Um, those are, I believe, no longer available. I don't know. No, um, they are. You know, 
That I've is, seen it in stores recently. Yeah, that's yeah. that. Yes, oh, yeah? yes, yes. That 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 vinyl is still rocking. Yes, you can still buy that. I mean, overnight sensation. If Universal was to discontinue the production of any format of any title, that would be a really dumb move because it's yeah. one of their consistent sellers. It is. Yeah, apostrophe, hot rats, shake your booty. One size fits all. Yes, and uh, Roxy, and maybe. Um, and well, yeah, I don't know about that, but. But definitely Overnight Sensation is one that will, I think, will always be in print on vinyl. And uh, I don't know about CD because that's, you know, that's up for debate. But yes, yes, I, it's going to be physically available in some way uh, as long as the demand is there. Because that title will always be one of the most consistent sellers in the catalog. It just will. Yeah. Which is why and this it- box set is so special. It is. <laughs> And we barely scratched the surface. Well, let's get into so, it. Yeah, sure. So, let's, let's so we're gonna go shit. with the 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 bonus the bonus materials. So we have for the first time the complete edit of uh, Wonderful Wino, and I guess we'll start there because um, I mean, there's plenty of excellent bonus stuff on here. So we'll just we'll just start with that. And wonderful, and, uh, as the uh, the uh, wonderful vocals of Ricky Lancelotti. Yes, who we didn't really talk that much about on the um, on the live stream because you only have an hour to do the live stream. So, and uh, we can eat an hour like nobody's business. But got that right. But um, but Ricky Lancelotti, I you know I was just thinking about you know poor Ricky Lancelotti the other day because he would have been a great addition to the band. And in fact, you know if if Ricky had made gig um you probably wouldn't have napoleon later because you know he ricky's just a really you know gifted vocalist and i guess he used to do cartoon voices and stuff like that right so you know he was kind of perfect for the stuff that he did here but there just isn't anywhere near enough of it <laughs> yeah he was an interesting character and uh he didn't last long in the orbit of frank zappa they mm-hmm. were on two different planes, two different worlds, two different planets. But yeah. for a little tiny bit, in I guess it would have been March. Yeah. March of 1973. That's when the sessions of the album happened. And then that's when he sat in at the Palladium in Hollywood. So it really only, it was all happening within a month. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> So he, you know, basically like was going to have the job, but he, I believe Frank said he got drunk and broke his arm or something. And then, you know, something like that. <laughs> Who knows? And, <laughs> and it was just like sometimes, well, people have been fired for less than that, but it still would have been really interesting to see what he could have done if given a, a greater role in the band. But, uh, I, I but, don't think, I don't think that he was reliable. Yeah. I really don't. I think he was just I think he was just a wild spirit who um thought that he had a very special gift to offer to the world and I'm glad he got voiceover work and I'm glad that he recorded these rec- these songs because man, talk about unbelievable timing for that guy. Not only Oh sure. Not only did he get to record with Frank Zappa, but his performances on this record ended up being on one of the most iconic, successful records of all of Frank's catalog. That's yeah. nutty. What timing? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a perfect uh, confluence of circumstances. And 
Um, of course, he he died young, but um, he didn't actually die of an overdose, as Frank said later. I think Frank was probably misinformed. He died in a car accident. Oh. His car went off a cliff somewhere mm. in the greater Los Angeles area. Well, that sounds like a good time. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely one way to go. You know, if you hear the stories that you hear about him, are, uh, that's pretty consistent with the way you might think he would go. <laughs> so, mm. mm-hmm. In a blaze of glory, baby. Wow. So you didn't have to edit the complete edit of Wonderful Wino, right? That was just as it was on the tape. Yeah, that's the full mix. Yep, that's the full mix. And did you know, ladies and gents, are we talking about Wonderful Wino right now? We are. (laughs) Did you know that Ainsley Dunbar lost his kick drum halfway through that song? No. Oh. Yes. Wild. Yes. Yep. As soon as the uh and the bridge, you know, uh, I went to the country. Yeah. Okay. Right as soon as the last verse starts, right after that bridge, mm-hmm. <laughs> we lose the kick drum. His kick drum went away, and for some reason, Frank used that take. I don't know why, but it's there. You have it. Isn't that wild? And if you're a drummer. And your kick, your kick drum pedal peters out on you. You know how painful that can be. Yeah, and you start using the floor tom with your right hand. Yep, <laughs> that's the that's wow. the way. Yeah, but you know what's back then? A lot of things would happen to kick drum pedals. So like either the beater would fly out, so you had no yeah. beater, or mm-hmm. if you were using a strap, the strap would break and it would just go. Bloop. Yep. And then you'd be done, you know, or, uh, or the like, springs or the springs would bolt. Yes, exactly. Bill. So anyway, something happened to poor Ainsley's bass drum pedal. And so there you have it. I got to go back mid- and listen for that now, yeah. because that's, that's hysterical. You know, and you know, um, what's really funny too, Scott, mm, is that if you yeah. take the wave file of the mix, yeah. wait, I, I can't remember if it's the master mix or what but if yeah i think it is when you look at the mastered wave file you'll see the spikes of the bass drum yeah. and then all of a sudden <laughs> they stop <laughs> so yeah I, so it's anyway. mind blowing to me that they continued the take after that you know yeah, i think anybody yeah. else would have stopped yeah 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 they they recorded it at trident those basic tracks and they were you know they were probably running out of time or who knows whatever but yeah man this is what you call a deep dish. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> See, these are the kind of details you can't get on the live streams. For those of you who were asking about why we don't go into more forensic detail on the live streams, it's because that's what the deep dish is for. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Ah. So we now have um, a 2023 mix of um, one of my favorite uh, versions of Inca Roads. Okay, Which Bill, is, uh, here's a mm. question for Bill. Yeah. When you first heard Inca Rhodes on the box set, and all of a sudden there was Sal Marquez's vocals, what did yes. you say? I didn't say much. I was very surprised, though. <laughs> yeah. I was, too, when I saw when I heard them on the multitracks. Seriously. Wow. 
I, I heard. Yeah, I, I heard, had no I, idea that he cut a vocal. Yeah, no, none of us did. No, nobody knew, and it, nobody still wouldn't know because Frank would have never released it. But I felt mm. like the I felt like it was a really great vocal take, and uh, there you have it. Like nobody's ever heard it with with a with a studio recorded Sal Marquez vocal take. So that's why we did a remix so that we could include that and and hear that's it because you know Frank's version of Inca Roads from that time period is on the lost episodes. Yeah, that's right. And and we're used to hearing it. I mean, it's been out there for years in bootleg land as, um, you know, even before it was on Lost Episodes, it was out there for years just as an instrumental mix down. But um, but yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> it's like you find just weird, like surprising stuff like this all the time, you know? Yep. <laughs> and very different from what Inca Rhodes eventually came to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Inca Rhodes is an unbelievable example of, first of all, it's one of my favorite songs. It's one of my favorite songs to play as well. But the thing is, is that that song is a perfect example of Frank's work ethic and the constant morphing of ideas from the song's fruition to how it ended up. And surprisingly, if he would have kept on it, it probably would have just kept on morphing even after One Size Fits All came out, you know, if it would have stuck around. If you listen to the beginning and then you listen to all the different changes that that song went through between 1973 and going into 74 in the Edinburgh show and then uh, how it ended up in the later 74 band, the stripped down 74 band, KCT and all that stuff. God damn. And all every single version is great. Every single one. Yeah. Like it's got that cool cowbell motif, you know, on the, yes. on the, on you know, the, the, it's just, it's just everything, everything that that song went through was releasable in my opinion. It's just such yeah. a great song. And this version has the stereo marimba. That's right. Yes, that's right. Which may have very well been quad, and then mixed down to stereo. That's just why it's bouncing around back and Good forth point. like that. But yeah, it, there was so much quad happening during the recordings of uh, of uh, Overnight Sensation. You know, the drums were recorded in quad, Scott. There oh, I did four, not know this. Yeah, on the on the sixteen channel tape, there's four tracks of drums, and none of them are labeled as to what is left, what is right, what is, you know, whatever. So you literally have to put them up and then listen to how you're going to blend it to stereo. But yeah, it's four tracks. It was quad drums when that shit was getting recorded. It was quad a go-go, right? It was quad a go-go. Frank didn't do anything halfway. Like if if he had any kind of new technology or new toys or something, like he just went for it. Like he immersed himself he in it. Embraced and then, it and he stretched it. Yes. Yeah. To see what it could do. Right. And uh, this is really pioneering because who was doing quad really at the time? You know, well, around shit, the man, same he time was, Pink Floyd was. Yeah, but he was recording quad in 1970. That, yeah. <laughs> You know, at his house. That's so it's it. like, wow, the guy was so into it. He loved immersive audio. He loved it. Oh, he would have. Yeah, he would. I wish he were around to hear some of these things that you're doing, because I think you would still be doing it if Frank were around. But anyway, well, you should be. 
<sighs> but yeah. um yeah it's funny i turned 52 this year and that's the same age that frank was when he passed away and i was like my god that's so short of a time and i mean 30 years ago feels like nothing and frank didn't frank's career was only about 30 years if you go back to cucamonga so he, he lived multiple lifetimes in he his did life. and and he, being as busy as he was it must have gone like that yeah i mean wow an incredible life it was yeah listen if you're only going to live to 52 at least he did a lot with that you he know? did more than most Oh, yeah, far more. I can't think of anybody who, who did as much work as he did. Maybe not even Prince, because that's the other person that Frank gets compared to a lot, you know, mm. in, in, just in terms of the workload. Yeah, sheer output. Right, exactly. Yep. And not even just the output of the release stuff, but the stuff that was recorded that nobody's ever heard of, you know? Yeah. There's just so much, so much of it. It must be such an unbelievable gift to have unlimited musical ideas swirling around in your head and to be able to turn those things into intellectual property and at an unbelievable rate and it never ends. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a, that's an incredible fucking gift. I it wish is. that I could do something like that. I mean, I hear rhythms, but I don't hear melodies. I don't hear, you know, music theory. I don't hear any of that stuff. And Frank was hearing all of it. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, <laughs> and it wasn't just music. You know, he was doing screenplays and filming things and videotaping things, and God, it was just it was nonstop art. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very well put because I mean I can't imagine. You know, I mean there must never have been a time where he didn't have new stuff floating around in his head, and then to go back. And retweak, rearrange old material, retweak the albums that came out 20 years before, you know, all this stuff. It's just this constant motion that nobody can ever really fully comprehend except Frank. I mean, we've been trying. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have a better handle on it than most. Well, I have spent a lot of time in that vault, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, yes. And your lungs have paid the price. <laughs> yeah, my body's paid the price. Yeah, it's interesting. This is a good opportunity to um, talk about how how much mold there is on some of those tapes. There must be, because it, it was an underground vault. Thankfully, there wasn't uh, a lot of tapes that were affected by any, like, actual leaks, like water mm. leaks. And there were, believe me, there were. There was a crack uh -huh. in the in the corner of the vault. And there was leaks before my time. And so there there was water coming down the walls and, and all that stuff, especially when it was raining really heavy for long periods of time, which can happen. And I remember Dweezil and I taking handfuls and handfuls of tapes and like during a rainstorm and uh, moving them from the vault to inside the house. Oh, really? I totally, I totally remember that. Yeah, we were just as many as we could as many times as we would make that trip from the vault to the inside of the house. Wow. Cause it literally was leaking. It was, it was leaking in the vault. And then, you know, Gail spent wow. a ton of money to secure that, you know, to fix the leaks and make sure that it was a stable place for that media. But you would be surprised that there really wasn't that many audio tapes damaged um, from, from water leaks. But what you would see 
is like if a tape hadn't been opened in 30, 40 years or something like that, mm. there would be like a white residue on the tape. Oh. And yes, that is mold, but there are certain kinds of molds that are deadly, like a black mold, and then there's certain kinds that aren't deadly. And mm -hmm. I'm lucky that when I had my allergies tested that I'm not allergic to mold, thank God. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to treat those tapes. You know, you have to get that white stuff off because if you put it on the machine and wind it, the shit just flies in the air. All yeah. that, all that, all that stuff. And you're I breathing would, it. <laughs> yeah, and you're breathing it in. So, yep. You, you told me something that really blew my mind. Um, you told us something that really blew my mind like a couple days ago, which is that certain cassettes also have to be baked. Yes. I, I thought that was a given for the reels, like of a certain a certain type. That is assuming that cheapo cassettes were never made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, With all sorts <clears throat> of different backing materials. Frank used yes. to use, uh, Frank would get by the caseloads. Uh, he would get Ampex Grandmaster. And uh, those tapes are the devil, literally. Really? Yeah. Grandmaster? Yeah, Grandmaster. They didn't, they weren't sold in uh stores i don't think i think they were just like industry tape mm. you can get them in bulk through industry I, that's that's my that's my guess because you could go and get maxell you could get tdk you could get memorex you could get scotch. basf yes mm -hmm. yeah scotch yeah but ampex i don't remember <clears throat> i don't remember seeing ampex grandmasters in the stores at all Never. so i think that it was just a it was a tape company that was known for supplying tape to the industry for record mastering. Mm -hmm. And they got into the cassette market in the 70s. And so Frank got like cases of these things and used them for board cassettes in the late 70s and early 80s. And God damn it, if they're not a pain in my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at one now um, on eBay for $21.99 sealed. And, uh, I've never, no, I've never seen these in my entire life. I've yeah. never seen a single one. Good. <laughs> wasn't with Ampec, you know? I know, like man. The, the, those it's... where the oxide is, you know. Well, here's, here's the deal. I don't mm. even know if you want to include any of this stuff, but here's the deal. Mm. I learned from so many greats in the industry through the years uh, doing what I do. Because when I started in 1995, I didn't know a damn thing. I didn't even know how to run a computer. I literally oh, had a yeah, I, huh. I had a purple marker and I had a paper, and that was how I started logging things in the vault. And um, I learned how to do a word processor, and then I learned how to do a database on a computer. I learned how to run a computer in general. Then I started learning about tapes and tape formulations and all the different kinds and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and back coat and acetate and the differences and companies and all this stuff that you really have to know. Yeah. And um, one of the things is, is that the industry went from an acetate tape to a back coat tape in the late 60s. And the back coat tapes... Uh, are great it's a great kind of a tape to use uh, but there is a lubricant in those tapes and for the longest time in the beginning of the at the end of the 60s going into the 70s till about 1975 or so they were using whale blubber oil as a, a lubricant 
Wow. And and for obvious reasons, you would have to stop using that, right? So they well, used yes. a right. So they used a synthetic lubricant mm. to take the place of the whale blubber oil, and that synthetic lubricant is what did not last over the, over time with the shelf life. So when they switched to synthetic lubricant, that was when everything went to shit. But they didn't know that at the time. Yep. No. It wasn't until 25 years later or whatever the hell it was that artists were noticing that their masters were getting damaged. And so Ampex had to come up with a way to fix it. And they came up with the heat treatment process. And that is is basically the industry standard now on saving these old tapes. So that's what happened, ladies and gentlemen, with why do tapes break down and suck over time? Because of those goddamn synthetics. Yep. <laughs> so you can just look at a tape now and know just by the formulation that it has to be baked. Well, or, do you, or do you take that as a given? You can I love test that shirt, it. by the way. Oh, thanks. You can te- you can test it. You just put it on the machine and play about thirty seconds of it, and if you see residue on the um, tape head, yes, you would know that. Uh, now there's a difference, though. You know, like if it's a little tiny bit of residue, it's okay, but if it's a lot, and especially if it's in streak, if it's streak mm-hmm. form, yeah, that's then coming off the tape. Yeah, you're you're in trouble. So you definitely have to bake that. Uh, yeah. But never never bake an acetate tape ever. Don't ever bake acetate because acetate is like film, and if you bake it, it'll curl up and die. Oh so, really? Yeah, acetate tape is not bakeable. So an acetate but, tape pretty much is a lot more uh, trustworthy over the years. So you don't necessarily have to go crazy with it, or at least if it's stored well you're doing okay with acetate yeah. anyway. So the the session tapes for overnight sensation, that was on a, a friendly tape stock. <laughs> yeah. Everything between 1968 and 1975 is, is pretty rocking. So you could just play it as is. You can then... play it right now and it'll play and sound amazing, which is why we were able to cut these records, these reissues that we've been doing for the last 20 years or whatever uh, from analog. Yeah. And some, obviously, we have to do from digital. But yeah, like if the tapes are kicking ass, got to use them. The less you play them, the better they'll they'll last over time. But that's why, you know, we've always raised the bar. We've always tried to cut from analog on all of these vinyl reissues because the audiophiles really respect it. That's what they want. And yeah. if you're paying the money, you're paying premium prices, you better get an analog performance. So, yeah, I, you hear I always, the difference. Yeah. Oh, big time. Absolutely. Hey, we've got so much material to cover because it's a four CD box set, folks. That we're going to have to do this in a part two. What do you think, fellas? I think I need more coffee. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) We'll see you next time. (laughs) That's right. You heard right. There is a part two and it's coming up soon. This concludes part one of the Overnight Sensation Super Deluxe Edition Deep Dish Zappacast. The next episode will be part two, where we continue exploring the extra tracks in the Overnight Sensation box and two previously unreleased live concerts of Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Zappacast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, was created and hosted by Scott Parker. This episode was produced by me, Bill Camarata. 
Theme music by Joe Travers and Rick Musallin. Special thanks to the Vaultmeister Joe Travers for his guidance and support. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit zappa.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, also known as X, but not Abdullah X, and on TikTok as at Zappa. Don't forget to subscribe to the ZappaCast on your favorite podcast platforms, tell a friend, and hit us up on the social to keep the conversation going. For more info on Bill Camarada, visit Bill's Box of Sound on YouTube. Until then, and until next time, keep on cranking that frank, and as always, remember, music is the best. Music is the best.